0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, October the 24th, 2022. A week till, you know what, a week to Halloween. Uh, Tonight, I'm celebrating, getting ready. I'm going to my local movie theater to watch psycho uh, hitchcock's great 1960 movie and to warm you up if that's the right word for <laughs> halloween we're doing a special show focusing on a scary new book the favor without a u written by nikki french co-authored by my two guests today um nikki gerard and sean french uh, phenomenal husband and wife team they've sold what 15 million books has it
1: something like that I think yeah
0: we've lost count you haven't really lost count I'm sure you know exactly (laughs) how many books you've sold so uh who wants to start tell me about this new book The Favour it's just out in the U.S. or it's out this week in the U.S. it's going to be out in the U.K. early next year I assume it will come with a U in the the U.K. the Favour spell O-U-R but in the U.S. it's F-A-V-O-R, tell me about this book. Um, the Katie Courage m- m- uh, media have included it in their best of Halloween this year. So I assume it's scary. <laughs> yeah,
1: I hope so. I mean, it's the, I mean uh, we have different kind of inspirations from st- different starting points for our, our books. And the idea of this one, we, for years, we talked about the idea of, if some old friend comes and asks you for a favor, Do you have to do it you know do you almost owe it to that friend to do it whatever it is and we just kicked it around as an idea and we knew one day we'd find the right story and it it just came with this we suddenly found the right character so what happens is it's about this young woman Jude who's a who's a young doctor and everything's going right in her life you know she's just she's about she's doing well in her in her profession she's about to get married and then suddenly, her first love, this boyfriend from her teenage years, who she hasn't seen for over 10 years, pops up uh, and just asks, asks her to do a favor. And she just feels, and for, for reasons I think the reader is not quite clear what, you know, she, you know, she says she'll do it. Because it, she just says, it's not illegal, is it? And he says, no, no, of course not. And uh, so she says, okay, she'll do this, she'll do this favor for him.
2: And it's um, not a good idea. It's <laughs> right,
1: Nikki. Good... Uh a basic
0: idea uh, that do you think um do you think it's a coincidence that in terms of the favor being asked and done, it was the male asking and the woman doing the favor?
2: Uh, is it a coincidence? Well, in this particular book, it's not a coincidence. I mean, we have you asked earlier if it was scary, and we think it is scary but it's not scary kind of ghosts and ghouls and things that go bump in the night it's scary like there's a kind of intimate dread that we wanted to have running through it and the fact that it's the woman saying yes to the favor I feel that women probably say yes to things more than men say yes to things certainly in our <laughs> mind.
0: you mean but yes really right.
1: so I think one of the points in a sense is how in this, in Jude's case, how even a perfect, apparently perfect life—it's a bit like you know a loose thread in a sweater, and just one tug and it can just start coming apart. So we wanted to show the kind of fragility of what of an apparently safe, successful life.
0: Is this a, a book? Do you think, in a sense, about bad luck? I mean, was um, is the heroine, if that's the right word, of the book Nikki? Was she unlucky to to have this request, or is it somehow built into the universe?
2: I don't think it's about bad luck, I think, but I think it is about how you can take one bad decision that feels quite kind of small and kind of boundary it, and then life just, as Sean says, life unraveled. I mean, a lot of the time when we write books together as Nikki French, we're kind of obsessed with how a life that you can feel in control of Um, and that can feel lucky and that can feel like it knows where it's going It's on track can very quickly go wrong and that all of us are a few steps away from from disaster that we we like to think that we know where we're going but actually one thing goes wrong and then and then your world can collapse and that's what we're interested in when the kind of thin ice breaks and what you you're in horrible dark waters and I think one of the things that we're interested
1: in we, we, something we talk about a lot is if you look around you know sometimes when you look at your friends or people you know people seem you know certain people just seem fine but actually know everyone we feel has their own their secret or their weak point and one of the things about one of the the, the revelations of the book is that Jude has a certain kind of secret. You know, why does she? Why does she do this? Why does she do this reckless thing for, for her, for, for this old boyfriend? And that, and it's because there's something. You know, she has something uh, nagging at her really, and and I think that's and I think that's something everyone can identify that we all have the thing we feel thing, some secret or something we feel insecure, something in our past we 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 feel not quite right about.
0: And you, also- yeah, I, 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 the the book. Um... Your, your publisher describes it as a, a, a twisty new standalone um, novel. Um, I like this definition. This word "twisty." I even looked it up. Not arranged <laughs> or moving in a straight in a straight line. Not twisted, but twisty. Are you suggesting, um, are you suggesting, uh, Nikki, that maybe we as a species or we as a contemporary people, we're all a bit twisty?
2: oh, surely we're all a bit twisty. Nobody is completely straight or completely straightforward. And, you know, I mean, in a way, that's what psychological thrillers do. They take, you know, they they take surfaces and then they break through and everyone knows what it is to kind of act one way. And actually inside yourself, you're containing this whole world of kind of fear and doubt and jealousy and rage. We just keep it under, under the wraps most of the time. And in this book, you know, that we, in, in Jude's case, you just kind of break through into the kind of inner world. Um, yeah, we don't, like, I don't think anyone is, no one is normal and no one is ordinary. Everyone contains this kind of hidden world of kind of unacceptable feelings, I think.
0: What do you, what, what, man I'm throwing these questions out, please jump in one way or the other. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you think of, particularly in America, the the industry of self-help, this idea that that all these problems can be confronted. We've done so many shows on psychoanalysis, on confronting one's inner demons. Are you suggesting that perhaps in an odd way we should almost celebrate these things and not consider them things that we want to, um, and I use this word carefully, exercise from ourselves?
1: Well, can I if I, can think okay. I mean actually, if I can leave this book behind, we wrote a whole we wrote a whole series about a, that was a, a series of eight books in which the kind of the detective was this, was, a, was a psychoanalyst called free Klein. right and in, way, and in that book we really, one thing we tried to make a connection with was was therapy and crime solving. And there is something about I think we all I mean I think I think we' I think we, we all need. I mean, so you can see why everyone's interested in self-help because we all have problems that we need solving. You know, we all our own mind is such, I mean, the the greatest mystery and it's something that we've explored in several of our books is the human mind, the strange thing we carry around that we're part of but we don't understand. And
2: and maybe that's one of the reasons why thrillers have such an enduring appeal and particularly now psychological thrillers, they've become such a kind of flourishing genre because what they do is they... They enable people to look at the things they're most scared of, shine a light into dark corners, and then they find a kind of a narrative or an order to put on upon it. So you, there's a kind of healing process that often goes on with psychological thrillers. That they're both very scary, and there's a kind of consolation that goes along with that. Do you?
0: Uh, you're talking to me from Hackney, northeast London. I don't think there's a tube stop in Hackney, but. Lots of buses, lots of British Rail. You go live in East Anglia. You sometimes sit on the bus or the train or the, the underground and look at people over the, the aisle and think, "I wonder what their little secret is." I wonder.
1: Well, where where we do that all the time. I mean, I mean, for example, one of the things, <laughs> one of the obsessions is in a train or if we're sitting in a cafe or a restaurant. We we always do think of looking around the restaurant and just trying to work out. What's that? What what, what are they talking about? What's their relationship? What's going on there behind the, you know, behind the facade?
0: Can I, I, do you ever do threesomes? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it it sounds like an ideal marriage. I mean, everybody wants that kind of marriage. Two writers, two writers who work together go yeah, out yeah, and yeah, imagine yeah. the world in um, as a great well, not, psychological not everyone, novel no
2: well, yeah. not everyone wants that kind of marriage. I mean yeah. I think that if if your relationship is in any way rocky, do not write together. It is It is not a comfortable process. I mean, we're not kind of sweet mm. people who sit there hand in hand agreeing with each other. It's a struggle, the process, and there's nowhere to hide. Mm. So, you know, there when mm. it's going well, it's wonderful. It feels wonderful, and it's wonderful to be able to share that. And there are days or weeks when it's not going so well, and then that feels quite stressful and you can't escape each other, you know, you can't escape your work because you're living with your work. I
1: mean, I think lots of actual relationships survive and depend on the fact that the couples have different, you know, they separate for a lot, most of the day, they have their own lives, their own, they work with different people and then they kind of meet at the end of the day. So I I think, (laughs) I mean, so the negative side, I think lots of people would not be able to bear spending the whole of every day, with their, with
0: their
2: do you, how, how
0: do you work? How do you work? Do you work in this uh, when you write? Do you write in the same room? So no, never, not.
2: never, never. We cannot write in the same room. And the few times we've tried it has been particularly terrible for both the writing and our relationship. So, no, what we do is we spend weeks and months kind of preparing to write, finding the right idea, the right characters, the right voice. And only when we know we've got the same book in each other's heads do we separate out. And, and so when we're, you know, I would work as far from Sean as I possibly can in my study. And one of us will write, say, the first chapter, we will email it to the other, who is then free to edit it, to add to it, to change it to erase it and rewrite it. And then they will write the next chapter.
1: And it's so it's a very, I think some people think they have very various ideas about how wonderful it must be writing together. So one thing people say, oh, it must be much quicker because there are two of you. And in some ways, its much I think it's a much slower business because we're just got, we're kind of sent, you know, we don't write at the same time and we're editing each other's work. And so, you know, and th- there is all that. So in a way, we have all the problems of individual writing and then having to, to collaborate.
0: How did you yeah. decide? I mean, I, I I was looking back. You don't mm. have a website now, but you used to have one, and it was yeah. Nikki French, which is of course your pseudonym. One writer, mm. two minds. That sounds rather twisty. Um, yeah, well, twisty. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's a. I mean, the good side is is. That I read. I mean, I because some people think, oh, you must be so lucky that you have these two matching prose styles, you know, that, that fit together. And that's not the case. Where when we write our own stuff separately, we have very different styles, very different imaginations. But the I mean, the, the real surprise I think we discovered when we started writing our first book is somehow when we became this third writer, when we wrote writers Nikki French. We, it, We get freed to write in a way that's different from the way we write alone and it's very very kind of it's very mysterious yeah I mean
2: this is true that kind of working together something happens there's some kind of it's almost like a chemical reaction so we you know if it was a question of compromising that would be that would just not work at all it's not like that it's like something takes fire often and and that's why we've 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 continued doing it you know we've been doing it now for 20 25 years So when I you met did.
0: you didn't be as i mean you, you've been married since 1990 mm-hmm. um so you had a period in the marriage when you weren't writing together how did the marriage change
1: well that's a good question i mean we didn't have very long got, before but, we started well, think, writing together but i think it's very important even in the first bit we met we were both journalists so we were so used to both writing and we were showing you know if i wrote a, an article I would we share it to Nikki and we talk about it before I sent it to anyone else and vice versa and when we read books we part we we always d- were discussing them so it felt like a really natural next step I mean, to us. Natural yeah steps. but we did talk talked about the idea of, well you know somehow could we collaborate and so, but it did i think the fact that suddenly we have spent now God, 25 years just enmeshed in each other's imagination. So that really, I mean, it's, it's so much a part of our relationship and, and the way we see the world and everything, you know. And it's,
2: it's, it's very intimate. It's a very intimate thing to be doing together. And we often think that it's a way of exploring the world together, exploring our fears together, what we feel about things together. So it's become a way of seeing the world. Um, in each other's company so it's been extraordinary both for our marriage and for a kind of writing partnership.
0: Yeah you joked at first uh, Nikki that you've got four kids and 25 books. Um, yeah. Uh, is there an element of jealousy? Do you think the books are jealous of the kids and vice versa? <laughs> well or, or by, actually <laughs> well, like,
1: vice versa because I mean it is it's one of the funny things when we, fir- when we started writing our first book we had four children under the age of eight. And so, of course, they weren't, you know, for years, they wouldn't, you know, I think gradually they've grown up and suddenly real, realized this is what their parents do in the day. And they've been and they read our books. And that's So I think that's been I mean, some I have to say there are a few of our books I wouldn't like my parents to have written, you know, yeah, because yeah. we go into kind of very uncomfortable areas. So. The, only,
2: the only novel that none of them have. Read is Killing Me Softly, which is all about sexual obsession because you definitely don't want to read.
0: Were well, you requested they didn't read accept. it? You asked them not to read it, which of course up to them. Just but not, they, yeah. I think they find um, you know. Quite, I think that's quite right. <laughs> so, do you think that your kids' sort of behavior attitude towards you is different in terms of these books? Do they, do they think of you um, as mm-hmm. sort of uh, do they think of the marriage as a sort of form of collaboration?
1: Well, I first I just think they they're just so used to it. So I think they hadn't, you know, they just it was something so I think it would have been really different if when they if they were 15 years old and we thought we'd started writing together, then they'd have a before and after. But that's just been like the family business, as if we were tailors or something like that, or you know. There's uh, nothing wrong you- with
0: being a tailor, Sean. There's um, all my family's tailors. Oh, really? Well, great. Well, <laughs> Not all of them, but lots of them.
1: Yeah. Well, that you know, you then that's what you're used to. But then, so I think it's just like the family business. It's like you know, they grew up in the shop.
0: Uh, 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 Nikki, are you making yourselves vulnerable, given that you have a history of writing twisty books about people's <laughs> most intimate secrets? Do you think one day you might write about yourselves?
2: Oh, that's a very interesting question. Am I making myself vulnerable? Well, well, I mean, I think writing, you make yourself vulnerable when you write, because even if you, you know, writing is a very disclosing business. It's like a kind of, there's something very exposing about writing. I mean, there's something very exposing with Sean about writing together. You know, we're vulnerable to each other, um, and we're kind of looking ridiculous in front of each other, and we're kind of, kind of, being very trusting of each other in the act of writing, and would I write? about I mean, I have. I wrote a book about my father and his dementia, which was definitely kind of felt very. Way
0: way you hid behind that by, um, well, you you wrote as um, uh, Nikki Gerard, I guess, rather than Nikki French on on your father's mm-hmm. dementia and joy of dancing for the the New Statesman. Do you think you could write nonfiction together? In the same oh. Nikki French style?
1: Do you know, I think we.
2: <sighs> well, an I interesting know, question. well, I we, think we I should don't... never say never. So, no. I, d- I mean, absolutely, maybe one day that could happen. <laughs> I mean, at the moment, I think that Nikki French is what Nikki French does is write psychological thrillers, and that's that's who she is. So, maybe we'd have to have another name. If we were going to write is she
0: an, a she or a he? Or a they yeah, Nikki,
2: so, yeah.
1: Nikki French, is she? I mean, it's funny that it just, the, it, the first book we wrote, which we wrote, when we first, we wrote the first book kind of in secret, just as like an experiment. And, and it just, the, the subject matter, because it was about recovered memory, which happened overwhelmingly to women. So it felt like the, the, the narrator of the first book had to be a woman. So almost without making a conscious choice, So therefore, when we finished the book, it felt more like we were always going to give it one name. So it felt, well, if if this book is narrated by a woman, it'd be better to have a female name. So we almost then suddenly think, oh, we have become a woman, a female writer. And so Nikki French, I think, is a particularly female writer. Because we've always always written books with female leading characters.
0: I mean, Sean, how do you feel about that, given you're male?
1: Yeah, well... Do you know that I think the... You're a hackney
0: male, aren't you? Exactly, well,
1: it's not not fully male, that's very male male. male adjacent. Uh, I I mean, I think the thing is that the great pleasure, I mean, having both of us been in journalism, there is something about in fiction, you really can go into become other people, go into other people's lives. And I think I've had this extra benefit of being able to write as a woman, you know, uh, under this name of Nikki French. And it's yeah. been very, there's been there's been, I've, I must say, I have felt personally as a writer very freed by that to be going into that other world.
0: It's funny looking at you two, and, and don't take this personally, you kind of look alike. Did you always look oh, alike? No,
2: Sean always says this. I don't.
0: <laughs> and do you think you look more alike now as Nikki French, given you've done all these books together?
2: We've grown to look like each other. Well, I, I really I have well I have a theory that, that couples course. always
1: look like siblings. So maybe, but I, I think actually You yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or much more shocked by this <laughs> than I am. I, I'm very happy to look like Nikki. <laughs> maybe. Yeah.
2: maybe maybe couples look like each other. I've so just maybe got some maybe, new glasses yeah, which make me glasses. look
1: a bit more like yeah.
0: that. But do you think you've learned to Thing, I'm, I mean you've written all these books together and you don't only write books you're also married and I assume you do other stuff um, mm-hmm. do you think you know each other as as intimately as you possibly can
2: no no, no. Were both oh. well, I think one of the things that I felt really exciting about writing together is the more I write with Sean the stranger Sean, comes to me in a way and that says something wonderful about being human yeah that you never get to the end of them and you don't get to the end of yourself either mm. and if we started writing and it became predictable and i knew what he was going to write before he wrote it um then we should stop doing it i mean i think that the human mind as sean was saying is infinitely strange and we don't know we and in a way one of the things our psychological thrillers are about is about mm. people kind of because of what happens to them they have to find things out about themselves things that they never would have had to find out about themselves and that's what I feel about writing with Sean or just writing in general is that you you the kind of mind is like a labyrinth that you don't get to the end of.
1: Also I'd say it's something we have returned to over and over again as a sort of running obsession is that you don't you know you don't need to be so frightened of the of a stranger Picking on you, although that can be frightening. It's you know, it's the person you're living with often, or someone in your family. How, you know, and I I I, I wonder, I was almost just thinking it now, that maybe that's partly come from us writing together. Because I think, although you know, here we are, we couldn't be closer. We're working together all the time, we're writing together, we're writing under the same persona together. And yet I think you know, every time I get something that Nikki's written, I'm kind of surprised by it, and you know, I'm surprised by the weirdness of her her imagination. And I think there is, I mean, I think it's almost, I mean, I think, you know, I feel we couldn't, we've spent 25 years in each other's heads in a way, and yet still we're, we're mysterious to each other.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We did a show with Patrick House. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. He's written a book, 19 Ways to Understand Consciousness. He's a sort of younger- Oh, yeah, West, yeah. The US version of Oliver Sacks. And he mm-hmm. still, he'll still talks about this, profound mystery of entering somebody else's consciousness do you think yeah. you've come close i mean is this something we'd even want to do if we ever invented mm-hmm. technology that allows us quite lit allowed us to quite literally get inside somebody else's head
1: what, what do you think, no, that would no, be no, I think i totally i mean that's absolutely right there's something almost frightening about how because we all we we never see anyone experience anyone else's consciousness so how, you know, we don't know the way they see the world. So it's that. But one of the things I, the more i got older is I think how much of a mystery one's own consciousness is. One's own, you know, I, you know, sometimes, you know, knowing, I mean, you were talking earlier about self-help and psychoanalysis. Most of us, do we, do we understand properly why we do the things we do, what kind of person we are ourselves, let alone everyone else.
2: And the thought of being able to properly enter someone else's consciousness, that feels horrible to mm. me. You could have <clears throat> moments of connection where you feel you get glimpses but everyone everyone mm. needs their secret self it, and it, that feels an inviolable right to have your secret self.
0: But Nikki, isn't that what you as Nikki Gerard and Nikki French as writers, isn't that what you do? Isn't that why we read books or go to movies? To get into somebody else's head?
2: Exactly. Well, exactly. We do, we do yeah. yes, but we're not <laughs> it's not, I mean it's it's fiction, isn't yeah, fiction? but also it's
1: that I, I I think that's absolutely right because fiction uh can do the thing that life cannot do which is you can move between consciousnesses and you get you you can actually see inside and we and all lots of not just us lots of you play with that idea that sometimes when you're writing you know especially when we've written our, a book written in the first person the person themselves just telling the story then it's they the tension often is that they're in the position we're in. You just don't know what other people are really thinking. And sometimes we've done books where you can that where what's frightening is you can suddenly see what someone else is really thinking so i mean it's absolutely i think that's why and one that's reason it. why art was, is why we love and, art of different kinds it yeah, gives so us with, that
2: yeah so with fiction the walls of the self come down and you can inhabit anyone's consciousness and see the world through all sorts of different points of view um but, i mean there's a lot of that happening in real life yeah. about, but on the other there's that like, magical
1: thing if you read a novel from the 19th century, and you've got, you're inside the head of a, you know, this, you have R- In interest.
0: particular, uh, do you, um when you think of a, a 19th century novelist who gets into someone's head, who did it well?
1: Oh, well, I mean, the, in a way, you're just, you, the, you're just going to come up with, a really, I mean, this, this, the thing is, I think there are different people who get into people's heads in a different way, which is, so I think that, for example, I mean, someone like Dickens, is just he's he, what he's great is about at the the kind of madness of ordinary people, of, of people you know the kind of weirdness of the of the mind, whereas I mean but you know you just once you going to come up with the big names of something like um, I think Tolstoy you know something like Anna Karenina has this unbelievable ability to empathise with every character, and you think how does he know how does he know you know he even the bits in Anna Karenina where he suddenly becomes goes into the consciousness of a dog. You think know, he, he seems to know what a dog feels like, you know. So there's so he there's certain writers who have this amazing ability to almost empathise with everything. Sean uh, I
0: Nicky, and Sean only mentioned men. Do women have?
2: I was going to mention the Brontes, who are you know the both Charlotte and Emily Bronte. They're ex- extraordinary kind of visions that they bring of the world. I mean, Wuthering Heights is just kind of fierce and strange. And then Jane Eyre is one of the great portraits of what it's like to be a woman and and treated as a woman and have this kind of passionate voice bursting through. What about uh, uh, other
0: other media? I mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. Psycho, I'm going to see tonight. Of course, Hitchcock
2: Mm -hmm. in,
0: in many ways invented psychological movies or certainly scary movies what do you think of rival forms do you like movies for example
1: uh, well, oh, <laughs> well you you, need, you know, don't get me going on that my my dad was a film critic and i grew up i just grew up watching films oh
0: what's his I mean, name
1: uh, philip french he was Yeah, a, yeah yeah i remember very a- much yeah, he was the film critic of The Observer in, in London. Yes.
2: In England. When I when I first met Sean and his family, they talk about the world through films. It's like yeah. their language. It's quite extraordinary. So So I
1: think I mean I th- you know, I mean when you talk about influences, I think that you know, I think movies were a big influence on our on, on you know, certainly on the way I think of books as well, you know, there's a certain kind of structure and and certain kind of, I mean, yeah, when you mention Hitchcock, he's just I think it's impossible to think of suspense you know, writing, if you're a writer without have,
0: you know, with, without Hitchcock being important. What can you do, Sean, that Hitchcock can't do as a writer? Oh, <laughs> that well, I think
1: you have to be something, I mean, it, 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 I, mean I, the, I think you can just, there, there are just things you can do in writing that, that film can't, but then there are things that film I mean, you can't, bring, you know. Um,
2: I mean, in writing, what you can do is exactly what we've just been talking about, you can get inside the consciousness mm-hmm. of another person who's mm-hmm. films. You know they have to be seeing things from the outside, except I guess people like Bergman they come pretty close yeah, to being inside.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, I mean, you know, Hitch, I mean Hitchcock was was a, you know, one is one of the greatest of all directors, and he and uh, but he was he's, <laughs> I mean he, he he's so um I mean one of the things that's so great about him is he was I mean he's intense he he was able to use his own weird feelings towards sexuality and women, and. Just yeah. and, and turn them over and over again. To these and he amazing, was
0: really—I mean, maximals. you use the the weird word. He was truly weird, right? Well, he said.
1: I mean, one of the things he said. I mean, I think we quote him quite often. At least I quote
2: him quite <laughs> often. I
1: mean, so one of his maxims, which is very disturbing, it's both a very true maxim for right, for thrillers, but also a very disturbing one. He said. He said the secret to a thriller is to make a beautiful woman
0: suffer, and mm. you know, and and that sort of get that. And did is, that in real life. Do you do that in your work?
2: Well, we we well, have you. really thought about it because there is a way in which there are lots of thrillers and we hope this doesn't include our thrillers which almost kind of get off on torturing their female characters and there's a kind of pornography of violence that can happen in a thriller and we re- what we've tried to be very careful about is that that our our victims should never just be kind of objects, should never just be clues. They should be given a kind of value and subjectivity as well. And so and that and we with Every time we write a new book, that's one of the things that we talk about before we set yeah. off.
1: Having said that, is there, I, think if, I think one of our there's a real danger in that you cre- you can you create characters and you kind of love your characters. So there's a real danger where you want to kind of get, well, let's let them have a nice time. And it, and we in in the stories, I think mean, over and over again, we we create an ordinary person, usually an ordinary woman, in a, having an ordinary life. And just give her a, as hard a time as possible, you know. And, and when things are, seem as bad as they can can get, make them make them worse. Because the drama is about how do people cope with when they're when when suddenly ordinary life, you know, when the collapses and they have they find themselves in a different world and have to yeah. deal with that.
0: Uh, f- final question. I mean, there's there's so many interesting things here, but we've got to end. There seems to be this sort of zeitgeist at the moment that everything's bad. I mean, we live. We, you're in England at the moment, they, or Britain, the yeah. government's collapsed, inflation, yeah. collapse of the pound, and so on and so forth. COVID, the war in Ukraine, and so on and fo- so forth. Do, do you think that we're living in particularly bad, sad times? Or is there something about us in the 2020s that has resulted in us being deeply deeply depressive about the world dark uh, uh, pessimistic
1: well, well i can i give my answer first? i mean i think i think it's really at times like this it's really good to have a sense of history because there are, it is very scary obviously obviously and it may be there's about to be a nuclear bomb dropped by putin so let's you know one shouldn't let's not say
0: everything's fine i don't think he would drop it on hackney though
1: well, maybe. what well, London is one of the things they've mentioned as a possible target. But but if you actually look back, at, you know, if you go back, you know, we're, we've got a, we've just got you know, as we talk, we've just got a new prime minister facing a terrible economic situation in in Britain. But when Churchill took, when he became prime minister, in you know at the beginning of the Second World War, if you read, he thought that it was about a fifty-fifty chance that within three or four months that britain would cease to exist as a country completely and be utterly destroyed so you know i think we you know that we you know but our situation compared with that is or if you go back to the if you go back to the english civil war about a quarter of the population of england died you know that you know, or the black
0: the, death which i think is even exactly, more
1: exactly so. so so i mean i think that there's been levels of you know i think there is a way where we're, I, I, I suspect that we may be more we, may, we, we haven't got this religious dread that people had about the end of the world coming, but I think we have. There's a kind of free-floating anxiety that we have now more. But that I moment. think there
2: is a free-floating anxiety in a kind of godless world, and there's a way in which we have such capacity to do great harm to each other now. I mean, think of you know nuclear weapons, or think of climate change. I mean, it feels that it's being played out on an epic scale. So I, the, the, I kind of hold. Is it Gramsci who said pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will? I think you kind of have to acknowledge that things are terrible in the world at the moment. And yet, day to day, there are lots of things to be very kind of optimistic and joyful about. You have to hold those two two feelings kind of together.
0: Uh, You mentioned the death of God. Weber, the great German sociologist, talked about disenchantment. Do you think... The kind of work you do is a form of re-enchanting the world.
1: Well, do you know that's that's, a, course, that's that's such a huge question, and I mean, in some ways, I think we are part of the disenchantment because I feel that we're that the kind of psychological thrillers we and other people write is about one thing. One of the anxieties we I think we we share with our readers is that feeling that there isn't a stable. You know, we write in the world where there's a, no one's going to come in and rescue you. In the you know, even the- mm it's, thing, you know, it's, you have to kind of face the, the you, know, you, you know, you have to face these terrible things and it find out, I mean, over and over again, we're interested in, you know, stress testing, almost our main characters, you know, what, how, you know, when you, you know, when it comes down to it, when the chips are down, what are you willing to do in order to find the truth or to survive? And it's not going to be solved for you by a priest or a, you know, or, a, you know, a great detective coming in. So, so I think, I, I don't, I think,
2: so it yeah. depends what disenchantment means, because there is a way in which I think just the act of kind of writing fiction and reimagining the world and playing out what ifs, that's a kind of enchantment, that's a kind of, and also, I hope that what we do in our novels is both look at scary things, but just, I, I think that our books are kind of shot through with the wonder of life as well. The wonder of a kind of godless universe.
0: Well, the wonder of twistiness, I think, is uh, exactly, absolutely <laughs> reflected in uh, Nikki French's new book, *The Favor*. It's just out in the US. It's out next year in the UK. Congratulations! It's going to scare everyone. Be just before. Uh, I was going to say Thanksgiving. Just before. Uh, just before um, Halloween. Uh, finally, we, you, you mentioned uh, Dickens and um, uh, and Tolstoy and uh, Jane Eyre. Uh, the Brontes. Uh, any contemporary books that one of you? Or well, both, you would
1: like to I well, I like I've just been reading some. Uh, I've, d- I've been reading a whole lot of old thrillers at the moment. I mean, Having a great and and the one particular recommendation I'd have is um there's a writer, the American writer Dorothy B. Hughes, who's probably best known. She wrote she, she wrote In a Lonely Place, um, uh, which was in, made into a great movie with Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. But uh, the one the the book that the, that really struck me is a book she wrote, Talk about twistiness, in fact, with, is she wrote a book called The Expendable Man, which uh, people may, you know, in, in a, you know, if you, you're thinking of twists, like if people who've read Gone Girl, which has this famous twist in, I think that The Expendable Man has the best twist in any book I've ever read. So I'd really recommend that. And Nikki? And,
2: and I'm going to recommend something that lots of people will have read already, which is Drive Your Plough Over the Bones of the Dead. By Olga Tokarczuk, I think that's mm. how you pronounce her. Didn't um, win the Nobel like, Prize. Yeah, and it's like an, a kind of feminist eco noir miracle. It bowled me over when I read it, and it also and it is a, crime, me, novel, it? It is a crime novel. Yeah, and it shows yeah. that crime novels they can do anything. They 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 can be as bleak and dark and surreal and funny and as any other form of writing. So yeah, that's my recommendation.